You are listening to the unofficial sequels podcast with Tom and Crystal. This program is intended for mature audiences only. Yo mama has a poopy poopy wang. Welcome to episode three of the Unofficial Sequels Podcast. I'm Tom. I'm Crystal. All right. I'm excited for this one this week. Yeah. Why don't you tell tell the audience what film we will be discussing this week? Uh, this week we're discussing American Psycho from the year 2000. Right. Although for some reason on my notes I wrote 1981. It's, it's not. not it, it might be. It's set in the 80s. But it's from 2000. 1981 is not a realistic date at all. It's set. The movie actually takes place, and in, I had in to figure, the late 80s, right? Well, I, I figured it out by looking at when Four by Huey Lewis came out, and by looking at a few different factors, I believe it's 1986 okay. <clears throat> or seven to be exact. I just I wrote that for some reason, but the year the year the movie actually came out in is 2000. 2000. I yep. think the book was written in 1991. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you got 81 from. That's when The Howling... Maybe that's leftover notes from The Howling from completely, two episodes completely ago. Completely different blank slate here. So I don't I, think I just... Christian Bale hasn't been in a werewolf movie. No, he should be. He, he is a werewolf. What would it be called? An American Psycho in London? <laughs> uh, the Dark Bite Rises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, I think you outdid me for once. That's pretty good. So... A 2000 horror film directed by Mary Heron, starring Christian Bale and Willem Dafoe. Let's just go back and forth. Christian Bale. Jared Leto. Willem Dafoe. Chloe Sevigny. Reese Witherspoon. Yep. And a couple other people. Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas, yeah. Yeah, him. A lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, Chloe Grace Moretz, like you said. Chloe Sevigny. Oh, whatever. I think I'm saying her name right. Don't. Mm-hmm. I'm bad with names. We know this. So, it is based off of a book from 1991 by... Brett Easton Ellis. Yeah, that person. I know that you've read some of their work. Yeah. It's a guy, right, Brett? It's, uh, as far as I know, yeah. Okay. Mary's a woman, though, the director of this film. Yes, there's a female director. So, the movie had a budget... Seven million dollars. It made thirty-four point three million at the box office. Um, um, I have a bunch of notes about how, from what I understand, it was kind of stuck in like production hell for a while. Well, at least the rights were bought early on, like early on in the nineties, like right after the book came out, and then it had a bunch of different directors set up. So originally, it was. David Cronenberg. Since we are the unofficial sequels podcast and we theorize potential sequels, I say we should play out some of these a little bit. What we think they would have been like. Oh, so, like if this movie were directed by David Cronenberg. Well, I actually read a little bit into it because I was very intrigued by it. And it actually said that like David Cronenberg was working with the writer of the book. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to take all the book's content out of it. David right. Cronenberg did. 
And Brody Stilnellis was like, this is really boring now. So they kind of... David Cronenberg got rid of the writer of the book. Cronenberg has a crazy history with his adaptions. For one, you know he did Naked Lunch, mm-hmm. um, which is just a nutty movie based off of a nutty book. That There's some loose connections between them. Um, he was the original director attached to direct Total Recall before they threw him out on that, but I'd rather discuss that when we do a Total Recall episode. Okay. So... Yeah, he was at one point attached to this. I can't see any conceivable way that it would have worked with David Cronenberg. I think as a horror fan and as a David Cronenberg fan, we would all want to see that, you know. I wouldn't. But you wouldn't? <laughs> no, what's, but... there's nothing science fiction about it. There's nothing... It's this. His sense of humor is a little bit darker. Probably, probably why he was altering the book itself. I don't think he would have worked for this, and I love Cronenberg, and I'm going to talk more about Cronenberg later in a few notes I took, but I don't think he would have worked for this. Now, one of the others, before we get to, obviously, the main crazy one that was the almost, mm-hmm. um, Stuart Gordon. Stuart Gordon, yeah. Was almost attached to this project, and um, I think that could have been I- interesting. The problem is, it would have been too late for Jeffrey Combs. Patrick Bateman is a... 20-something character. Yeah, it just, it wouldn't really have lined up. And tr- hey, it was in, actually I believe 2000 or 2001 or somewhere around there, might have been a couple years later, where Stuart Gordon did Dagon, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic movie. So he was doing great stuff. It, I think it could have worked, I think it would have been even more comedic of a movie than it is now. It still would have been a black comedy, and I think Stuart Gordon, excuse me, did a, um, what was that movie where the guy was stuck in the windshield? I can't remember. Stuck? Was it called Stuck? I I don't know. I don't. It had a what's her name in it? Uh, the titties from American Beauty. Do you remember her name? She was in a American Pie too. Uh uh-uh, uh, I don't know her name. Well, Stuart Gordon would have been an interesting choice to direct this. I think it would have turned out just fine. Now, besides that. There was an almost with this film as far as director and lead actor that would have... And even co-star. <laughs> oh, maybe you have something I don't. Oh, no, no, you're, you're going in the right direction. So for director, we're talking Martin Scorsese. Oh. You don't have that? We oh, didn't no, read I did, the same, I did. We didn't read the same Wikipedia page? No, 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 no. I know that it Has was... it changed? Is it the Mandela no, no, effect? No, 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 Martin Scorsese was set up for it, but then it was Oliver Stone. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I skimmed that. I yeah. saw that. Um, but the combination we almost had was Scorsese and... Leo. Leo DiCaprio. Yep. Um, I'm really glad that didn't happen, to be honest. And it's not that I hate Leonardo DiCaprio. It's just, I don't think it would have worked. I mean, I think it would have been all right. But it, it gives it too much legitimacy, I guess. It's like... Like, makes it like a main, like super mainstream movie, right, is what right, you're saying. Yeah. Right, right. <clears throat> So yeah, I, I, the Scorsese thing could have been cool. You know, he did that movie with uh, Nick Cage, Bringing Out the Dead, which was a you know, pretty wacky movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we're on that note, I'd like to bring up another thing I was reading about this. Did you see where Christian Bale got his influence for yes, this character? Yes, I made a main note of that because I thought it was hilarious. I thought <laughs> it was perfect. Uh-huh. Um... The first one would be, well, the one you mentioned, 
would be Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss, and I know you really like that movie. The second one... It's like the best. Was one of the best movies ever made. Tom Cruise, in an interview, I think it was Late Night, The Late Show, or whatever, and the quote, I believe, is, Tom Cruise's intense friendliness with nothing behind his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Bale's a pretty cool dude, I guess. Yes, it, um, I thought that was hilarious, and I, you can when when you think when you put those two things together, Patrick Bateman, that's it, and Tom Cruise, like that strange, like overexcited Tom Cruise, but blank behind it. That's right. perfect. It describes it perfectly. So <laughs> he nailed it. He nailed it. He did a great job. So we're gonna take a break, and uh, we've got to return some videotapes. Yeah, and we'll be right back. to uh, our notes on the film American Psycho. You know, I feel like I kind of had to change up my structure. Usually I take really in-depth and crazy notes where I observe things that most people won't, but this movie has such an attention to detail itself. It's kind of... I had to... I don't know. It was different, I guess. I really didn't take... Many I notes. mean, I really wrote notes about how I felt about certain things, not really how I saw things, because, like you said, there's such an attention to detail, and there's such, like... I don't know what the word for it is, but like you're, you're trying to pay attention anyway because you're trying. Well, you're trying to figure out the movie, like what's going on with the character. So right. Um, well, I'm gonna let you kick it off then. What do you got? All right. So I don't know if you want to cut this out or not, but in the very beginning, in the very beginning, they they have dinner, and then they go to a club. Okay, and they go to a club <laughs> and they pay to get into this club, and there's a song play, and it's. New Order song called True Faith. Mm-hmm. And when I was listening to it, I was like, I know the song. And it kind of like gave me a chill. Do you know what it's, where else it was used? It's, it, who else used it? <laughs> this is a trivia question. This is a true crime trivia question. You know what's weird? I, I don't know, but I feel like it's, it's back in there. Like I've heard this I was like, fact somewhere before. I, it kind of disturbed me a little bit because I was like, where is this? Wait, song? wait. I got it. I just got it. It okay. just came to you me. Know? Yeah, and you know what? I actually didn't know this, but I just put it together now that you brought this up. Oh, I know who it is. Um, it's it's Magnata. It's a Luca it's, Magnata. It's, right. And obviously, this is before that happened. So, so was he influenced by, by the song or this movie? Yeah, that's what I wanted to know. Was he influenced by this movie? But we're not a true crime podcast. I just wanted to bring that up briefly because I. Canadian felt, I felt I felt the music like I felt the influence of the music before I understood where it was coming from it was like lodged in my brain I was like this song really creeps me out it's not a creepy song really creeped me out couldn't figure out why that's why <laughs> yeah that's the part when he tells the girl he wants to 
rip her head off or whatever, right? Yeah, he, he says something he, to the he bartender. He says he says she's a, he wants to stab her and play in her blood. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up. I thought that was straight. Well, I I feel like this movie, <laughs> this movie does a lot with music, and mm-hmm. I associate a lot of songs with this movie, but that song don't associate with this movie. I associate it with that. So. <laughs> well, that is interesting. And I, I, you know, when you said that, I had to think about it. And that, that is very weird. I've seen the Luca Magnata video. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's horrifying. It's one of those ones that's so over the top, it's almost not as... You know, why are we talking? We don't need to talk about. Luke we don't need to talk about. I just wanted to bring prick. it up because I w- wanted to know. Like I, that's like the guy I, that like killed cats and put cats in Ziploc bags and. Yeah, I don't. Them. I don't want to talk about him. Right. I just wanted to mention that because I think that this movie musically has influences on people. Like people associate Huey Lewis in the news with this. Mo- like a lot of people do associate Huey Lewis in the news with this well, movie now versus just Huey Lewis in the news. That's true. And Phil Collins. At least I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a part where they're in a restaurant, and Chris- a couple parts where they're in restaurants. Well, they're in restaurants a lot, lots of different restaurants, which seem very strange, like foreign to me. Or they're like fancy restaurants, and then they're not in Dorsey very much. But one though. part they're like in a Texas Roadhouse with mm-hmm. Paul Allen, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a part like. Okay, if you've seen this movie before, you know how terrible Patrick Bateman is as a person. At least how we see him mm-hmm. do things in the movie. He's a, a misogynist. He shoots homeless people. He does all kinds mm-hmm. of crazy stuff. Like, he's a very unlikable person, but he apparently is so, you know, politically, you know, conscious of things. Like, he talks about how we should respect women, we re- should respect people of color, we should respect all kinds of... like And world hunger. And world hunger. But the way that he says it is just, like, he know like, he's talking about it like he's bragging about a wallet that he got. Mm-hmm. It's so ridiculous. So, I, I just find that really funny. Yeah, that's, like, that's kind of what ta- I... He's waving his intellectualism in, fr- in these people's faces, but he doesn't actually believe it. Well, not only that, <laughs> what he's saying is so mundane and so like you've heard it a zillion times before there's not there's no depth to it it's just like off the back of a cereal box yeah he's just he's just saying it and and uh the other gentleman that's dating the the girl that he's having an affair with or whatever or i don't know i the characters are confusing and i don't know their names so there's evelyn Mm -hmm. which is reese witherspoon's character right right and you're talking about you're talking talking about about her friend the the dickweed yeah the redheaded dickweed and uh, he's like, well, that's really thoughtful of you, Patrick. Or so he says something like that. Thought-provoking. That's very thought-provoking. Right. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny because clearly he doesn't believe any of it in his own mind. He's just saying it to, like, say it. So. Well, that's his whole thing. It's like when he's in the he's in the limo with Reese Witherspoon, he says, I just want to fit in. You yeah. I mean? And he, like, he's very insistent about it. He's like, right. Yeah. Well, so let me kind of go into a little something here a little bit of a rant okay so the first is the first appearance that we get of patrick bateman is he's this guy who is obsessed with his physical health with his physical appearance he's got his rigorous exercise routine his deep pore cleanser lotions his 
honey almond body scrub, his herbal face mask, which, which real quick... They sound really pleasant to me, to be honest. So, he does his stomach crunches while he's watching the Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why doesn't he watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he's putting on his face in the morning? <laughs> Just saying. I feel like that would be also be a positive influence for him. Because that's when he's watching the pornography. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I, I want to bring up that, that interesting fact about the scenes he did with Willem Dafoe. The director made them shoot every scene between the detective that Willem Dafoe plays and Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. The director made them shoot all of those scenes three times. One time with Dafoe thinking Bateman, di- thinking Bateman didn't do it. One time with Defoe, not sure if he did it, and then one time with Defoe knowing that he did it. Okay? Uh-huh. And then in the editing room later, when they're editing the film together, they mixed all the takes together. Oh. To confuse the audience. So there's different signals going out there. Gotcha. Which I... That's genius. That's man. really smart. I really like that. Yeah, I thought that that was pretty crazy. So if... That's why Defoe in all the scenes is, like, so unreadable. Yeah. Because... They shot him all three times. Like where he's talking about Hulu's news. Like he pulls it out. Like he's like, I know you had this there uh-huh. when you killed Paul Allen. But he's like, but I really like it. Right. It's so, so bizarre, man. Yeah. All right. What do you got? Um. I don't know. I have a note where Patrick Bateman is in the limousine. I think with Reese Witherspoon or with his other lover. Actually, I think it's with his other lover, and they're going to Dorcia, but it's not really Dorcia. Right. He goes, hey. Isn't that Donald Trump's car? <laughs> I just I thought that yeah, was that, funny. That was fun. Very relevant to today's politics. Mm-hmm. What else do I have? Um, I really thought my favorite scene as a graphic designer is the business card scene. <laughs> I have a huge theory attached to the business card scene, so why don't I let you play out what you think about the business cards? I I just find it hilarious because as a designer, I can see the subtle differences between their cards. And yes, I understand that there are different shades of white. But the whole point of the scene is to say, hey, there's not really much different about all these cards. You know, his is bone. Mm-hmm. His is uh, le- uh, light nimbus cloud color or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> fun fact that has nothing to do with horror or Patrick Bateman. There is an average color of the universe... And it's called Cosmic Latte. And it's like a light blue color. And if I was Patrick Bateman, I'd make that my card color. Oh, okay. Cosmic Latte. <laughs> Cosmic Latte. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's meant to say, look at my fancy card on its nice fancy paper. Um, but they're all pretty much the same. If you're looking really closely, they're not. But when it comes to the basics, they're all the same. Right. Well... I guess there's a few things... And uh, Sorry, sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you. When Patrick Bateman sees Paul Allen's card, he, like, dies. He's like, Paul Allen's card? No! (laughs) Why is it so nice? But it's not very much different from his own, so... My theory is... That is the start of everything. That's where he snaps? That's where he snaps. He's like, Paul Allen's card? I think I'll kill people. Oh, I don't think he kills anyone. Now, that's the other... We can discuss that later. I think, um, in my opinion, I think Patrick Bateman was a very artsy type. And instead of taking that 
route in life. He, he, he went he, to Harvard. He went to Harvard. He's doing Wall Street or whatever the hell he's doing. I think he does mergers and acquisitions. So I think he was an artsy type. I mean, we see him drawing the whole movie, drawing his little pictures and his little doodles. <laughs> and he also knows a lot about music. Well, not a lot about music. He's just very observant and very... He's into he ha- the arts. He has an art brain. He's very, he you know, he's got attentive brain. to... He has the art brain. <laughs> he's very attentive to, like, analyzing things like music and right. and how he feels. So... Um, I think he sold himself out. He sold his life out to live the life he's living now. And it's so material and so artificial that there's a struggle that's going on deep inside of his brain, I guess. And I think he snaps. And when he sees that business card, it's the end of it all. It's what, in his head, he loses it. He has a breakdown, basically, after that. And that's why it's fantasizing about killing all of these people. Because the big question with this movie is, what is real and what isn't real? And I guess we can go into that for a couple minutes before we kind of wrap up the segment. Yeah. So, who does he kill? Who doesn't he kill? Where is the fact and where is the fiction? Well, obviously, he doesn't kill Paul Allen. Lots of people think that he does, but at the very end... Some people think he only killed Paul Allen. Does that mean the lawyer is lying at the end of the movie? Yeah, because they all look alike, and they don't know who they're having lunch with, they don't know who they're talking, no one gotcha. knows, they all, they're all exactly the same. If you think about it like that, yeah, I could see that. And I could also see him killing Paul Allen because they there's an actual detective that comes by and no, talks No, you know him. why he kills Paul Allen? It's because of the business card. He hates the business. He's jealous of Paul Allen's business If he card. kills anyone in the movie, he kills Paul Allen. Okay. But you know what? With an axe. He didn't kill Paul Allen. I don't think he killed any of these people. I don't think he killed anybody. It's all in his imagination. I think he doodled it all down. I think he doodled it all. I had a sequel idea that was a joke, but we already talked about him being an artist. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think that he actually killed anyone. Um, if he did, it was Paul Allen. And um, I think it's fantasy. We know he's a fan of horror movies. We know he's into the into the arts. I think it's all fantasy. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, what is your favorite kill of this movie? I I don't know. I have a least favorite. What's that? Well, Feed attempted me a kill. Cat. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did not like the part with the cat. It makes me sad every time. But he doesn't actually kill the cat. He kills right. an old lady. Which was pretty cool. Um, I like Paul Allen's death, to be honest, because I just like the Huey Lewis in the news part. And he's mm-hmm. like, are you wearing a raincoat? He's like, yes. Well, yes, it's a raincoat. Um, and he's like, why are there style? Why is there styles sections on the floor? <laughs> Do you have a dog? What is your favorite? Well... Most people are going to say the chainsaw death yeah. is the, the, the best kill of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it is unique and it is pretty awesome. But my actual favorite kill of the film, it's toward the end with the cop car explosion and all that. Not that one, but he's running out of a building mm-hmm. and there's a janitor. Mm-hmm. And he exits through a revolving door. But instead of leaving, he realizes, oh, I didn't kill that janitor comes all the way back through the revolving door, shoots the janitor, and goes back through the revolving door and exits the building. That was, to me, the best murder scene. It's hilarious. It's one perfect sequence, and it's flawless. And I just thought that that was a 
it's an old school kind of joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was very like uh, oops, you right? Know, like exactly. Cartoonish. Very cartoonish, and I just thought it was perfect. You know, um, the other theory is that he did in fact kill all the people. The reason why it gets so extravagant at the end is because we're actually seeing what he's seen in his mind. He's so delusional that he's seen cop cars explode. He's seen helicopters. You know, they might not be there, but he did actually kill all the people. He killed the people, but he's so. So guilty, far gone. guilty or gone or right. just out of his mind that he imagines these helicopters right. and car, cop cars chasing him but nobody's actually figured out what happened what what's happened to like the people I'm still sticking by I don't think he killed anyone but I, I gotta bring something up so I tried to watch American Psycho 2 today um, it has William Shatner in it and Mila Kunis I couldn't get it it said it was on Prime but you didn't get it on your Prime. I ha- you have to have the Shutter. Oh, I, I don't. I don't. We don't subscribe to Shutter. I did read that the plot line: she is the sole survivor of serial killer Patrick Bateman. Okay. Which would imply that he really did kill all of the people. I know this podcast is about the movie, right? Um, but the book mm-hmm. is written in a narrator narrated format, so like Patrick right. Bateman is telling the story. That's a book. So it's implied that you only have Patrick Bateman's testimony to figure out whether or not he did it. And therefore, it's much more ambiguous. Okay. Um, And putting it in the film format kind of fucks that all up. Right. So that's why it's so confusing. And apparently the director played along with that, so it was intentional. But in the book, I think it's much more... Hey, he probably didn't do this because he's a lion sack of crap. So, like I said, I don't think he did it either. I think he's living the wrong life. I think he went went down a path that he wasn't supposed to go down, and he's paying for it psychologically. So, yeah, okay. Let's uh knock the ratings out real quick, and then we'll take a break. Um, I give this movie a nine out of ten. I think it knows exactly what it wants to be. It's perfect in every way that it can be perfect, and there's no flaws with it that I can see. So, I give it a 9 out of 10. Um, I give it an 8.5. I think Christian Bale's performance is really good in this movie. He's, and now that I know where his influences are, it's perfect. It's the spot, vampire's kiss It's thing spot is on. Perfect. He's so ridiculous. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, it's just really funny in a disturbing kind of way. Um, yeah, so I'll just say that I, I mean, I, I, I think the story is crazy. I think all of the actors are really good. I just really think that it just comes together really well. So, Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. And um, what's funny is that out of the three films we've talked about so far on this podcast, it's not my favorite. It's, but and but honestly, I, am, I am giving it the highest rating of all three of them. Yeah, it's not even one of... I mean, I really like this movie. Um, but it's not one of my favorite movies. And it definitely stands out though so. yeah it's a fantastic film and I, th- I can appreciate when something has an agenda um, it knows what it wants to do it executes it perfectly and it's basically with this film it's flawless right down to the fact that it is ambiguous and you don't know if he did it or not it intends for you to be that way it was well thought out that way so yeah I completely agree alright well we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back
this is where we discuss our sequel ideas. This week we're discussing our sequel ideas for American Psycho. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you want to go first? Do I want to go first? It doesn't matter. No, all right. So, this is my first sequel idea. Turner Classic Movies presents Bedtime with Bateman. Okay. <laughs> okay. And this is a a monthly program that airs at 9 o'clock the first Saturday of every month. Okay. And what this is, Patrick Bateman reads all of your favorite classic movie lines with his own little twist. Okay. And I have a few here. You can tell me what you think of them. Okay. I love the smell of palm oil face mask in the morning. (laughs) I have come here to eat Dorcia and drop chainsaws on hookers' backs, and I couldn't get a reservation at Dorcia. (laughs) I know, these are pretty bad. (laughs) They They get far worse. Okay, we'll continue. I'm Bateman. It's like a double joke here, get it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Keep your friends close to your nail gun. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna make her a very fine Chardonnay she can't refuse. <laughs> I'll get you, homeless guy from the city, and your little dog, too. <laughs> Say Defoe to my little friend. <laughs> okay. You had me at Defoe. Now you're just making Willem Dafoe jokes. No, I'm not. <laughs> E.T. Dafoe home. Oh my god, okay. <clears throat> May Dafoe be with you. <laughs> okay. Frankly, my Dafoe, I didn't like Spider-Man. <laughs> if you build it... Oh, I'm sorry, fuck. If you bash it, Dafoe will come. Blood. That's like an Antichrist reference. Exactly. So, so what? So what? Okay, well, I like the last one, but the other ones are just ridiculous. So, that's that's Bedtime with Bateman. <laughs> well, I like Bedtime. Saturdays at 9. I like Bedtime with Bateman. Okay, you go. Alright, so, <laughs> I don't know. My sequel ideas are just kind of lame. Well, let's hear them. Let's uh, out um, with them. Let's, let's get it. I don't know. I just feel like if Patrick Bateman had kids, mm-hmm. they'd be really fucked up. Right. And I don't know if there will be a movie about Patrick Bateman being like a really shitty dad. And then like him bringing prostitutes over and killing them with chainsaws. And then his kids bring prostitutes over and kill them with chainsaws. So, <laughs> I don't kind of like where you're going with that. Is that all you have for the idea? Yeah. I'd like I to just, build on that I just feel more. like I just feel like, obviously he's young, so eventually he's going to have kids maybe. Unless yeah. he gets, you know, you're- whacked. One, so. You're going in the right direction. I'm going to jump onto that and take it a step further. Okay. He's a grandfather now. Grandpappy Bateman. Paul Paul Patrick. Paul Paul Patrick? Okay. And here's how it plays out. So, let's say... Uh, give me a second to put it together here. You got a family sitting at a restaurant. They're waiting for Paul Paul Patrick and... Grandma Patrick Bateman or whatever to show up. Mrs. Patrick Bateman. Right. <laughs> so they see a car pull into the parking lot. Oh, here's Paul Paul Patrick. He comes into the restaurant with a woman, but it's not Grandma. 
Okay. Now, Paul Paul Patrick has dementia, and he's been known to do some pretty wacky things, okay? Oh, that wacky Paul Paul that Patrick. That wacky Paul Paul Patrick. Talking about chainsaws and... Right, always wants to hang out at Home Depot all the time. <laughs> sure. So anyway, so they're like, where's Grandma? Who is this woman? And he's like, uh, this is your grandma. And then they start to fear that he abducted this woman with his dementia. But then what happened to Grandma? No one can find her. And as they're digging into secrets from Paul Paul Patrick's past, they find some unpleasant facts about things he may have done when he was younger, including the fact that apparently at one point in time, he had a brother that no one knew about. So then we got to think of what actor to get to play his brother. And if I was to think of the worst possible decision anyone could ever make in a million years for actors to play... Paul Paul Patrick Bateman's brother. It's going to be James Vanderbeek. <laughs> what do you think about that? Look, the Rules of Attraction, great book. Patrick Bateman makes an appearance in the Rules of Attraction with his brother. I think his name's Sean. Mm-hmm. The movie with James Vanderbeek has a .2 second scene where he talks to Patrick Bateman on a payphone, and he's like, "Patrick, I can't hear you." They're clearly related. Do they look anything alike? Why would they pick James Vanderbeek? I have no idea. But here's another idea. This movie involves James Vanderbeek. He plays the brother of Patrick Bateman, Sean Bateman. And now he's got a he's also deranged in the head and he's at college and he starts killing people at college. You know what college he goes to by the way? What? Vanderbilt University. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared to talk about Sean Bateman, okay? Uh-huh. Oh, it's Sean. I girl. didn't even know we were going to bring it up. Okay. You always bring up Vanderbeek. You have to. Okay. Well, I actually really like that movie. Well, I like the book. Well, it's directed and then it by has... uh, Avery, right? Roger Avery, yeah. isn't that the guy's yeah. name? Yeah, but I really like the book. Pulp Fiction so, or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. The Rules of Attraction with James Vander. It has Shannon Sossaman in it, okay? That's why I like it. Uh. Uh. Alright. Uh, you want me to give you another one? Or do you want to go? Do you have another one? Yeah, you go ahead and knock out another one. Okay, so this one's real crazy. Okay. So Patrick has died. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Just stay with me. <laughs> but his ghost. <laughs> his ghost. <laughs> his ghost now realizes what terrible assholes all these people are. Well, he already realized it, but now he's a ghost. Okay. So now he's a poltergeist. Mm -hmm. And then he kills people as a poltergeist. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's stretching it pretty far. <laughs> yep. Okay, so killer ghost Patrick Bateman. Yep. Killer poltergeist. So he actually, he, he lives out his dream when he's dead that he actually gets to kill people. Okay. But as a ghost. Okay. That's pretty far out there. <laughs> okay. So ghost Patrick Bateman takes out all the people that he didn't kill in real life. Yeah. Once he's dead. Yeah. He comes back. But guess what? He's he an still, entity. He still doesn't get any closure or catharsis. Right. Man. They just can't close dead. the casket on him. Nope. 
So, I got a few more. Not really, I have two more and one's not even an idea. I was trying to come up with a way of putting all of his movies together into one and all I could come up with was uh, American Cyborg Rise of the Machinist. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not that great. So, on to my last idea. I wanted to really think one out. You know what I mean? Let's really let's really think a good one out here. Oh, good, because I didn't think any of mine out. I just wrote them down as they came to me. Okay. What do I want to do with Patrick Bateman? What role do I want to put him in? How about a bromance? He needs a buddy. What does Patrick Bateman never have? A true friend. He never has a true friend. We need to give him a buddy. A bromance. Okay. A bromantic comedy. Okay. Not a gay not a gay lover. A bro. He needs a bro to hang out with. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't come up with a title. The closest I got was American Supro. <laughs> that was <laughs> That was as close as I could get. <laughs> okay. So, so who would you cast as this? Well, let me. I, I'm getting there, bro. I'm getting there. <laughs> so after the events of American Psycho, and this is unlike you. This is knowing that they didn't actually happen. He has this nervous breakdown, this identity crisis of sorts. Okay. All right? and this is a couple years later. He decides to give it all up. He's done with it all. His banker stuff. Done. Done. Moves to Wisconsin. Gets a job working at a video store. We know he likes to rent videotapes. Mm -hmm. Well, now he works at a video store. Like a blockbuster? Yeah, like a blockbuster. I mean, like, no, like a mom paw like store? A, right, like okay. a mom paw video store. And um, so we know he's a fan of the horror movies, right? He likes Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, he's talking about Ted Bundy. He's talking about Ed Gein. He likes horror he likes that kind of stuff uh-huh so there's a new movie coming out that he wants to see but every time he goes to rent it himself a customer already has rented it out <laughs> and this guy he keeps it he keeps it past the time he's supposed to return it you know what i mean mm -hmm. all the late fees are building up and patrick bateman starts to feel that old anger inside of him coming back again and this guy you know so he finally decides, I'm going to hunt this guy down, find out who he is, possibly kill him, possibly just get the tape back. So he looks down. Well, first of all, I skipped a part. Do you have any idea what movie it is that came out that he wants to see? Well, if I know where the story go is going, yes, I do. Do you, do you know where I'm going with this? Yes. Okay, so what movie is it? It would be The Exorcist 3. That's right. So it's okay. The Exorcist 3. So he looks down on the name of the account. And who is the asshole that has been continually renting this movie? Uh, I believe his name would be good old Jeff Dahmer. It is Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. <laughs> so he goes to this guy's house. Jeffrey Dahmer. His apartment. His apartment. That's right. <laughs> he knocks on the door. Hey man, when are you going to return The Exorcist 3? Jeffrey Dahmer invites him in. They watch the movie together. A bromance ensues. They start hanging out, talking about horror movies, doing, you know, I mean, they're 
egging houses, tipping cows, castrating miners. You know, I mean, they're doing all the stuff that that buddies do. But really, that's just the plot. It's really a bromance movie, American Supro. American Supro, gotcha. What do you think? That's the best one. Oh, so. magical director from the sky. Please buy our sequel idea. It's David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg. He wasn't right for the first one. He's right. He's perfect for this one. Yep. <laughs> okay, so my last idea. It's just an idea. And we already touched on it. But I think Patrick was a lovely artist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if Patrick goes to art school Mm -hmm. and he becomes like some weird contemporary artist instead of a murderer okay yep that should be you know then he ends up dating Jean since she admires his artwork (laughs) so he's with Jean now let's say he does end up hooking up with Jean he doesn't because she's hopefully smarter than that so a few things before we go you can look us up on Facebook at the unofficial sequels podcast or we're we're kind of on Twitter at unofficial pod. Yeah. Um, or you can follow our own personal accounts. I'm uh, at TMMOC. And I'm at Werewolf Cabaret. All one word. Yeah, and that's a good way to uh, see what we're doing and keep in contact with us. Yep. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. All right, well, I'm Tom. And I'm Crystal. And thanks for listening to the Unofficial Sequels Podcast. Thank you.